Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 23. Welcome, I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me today is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Greetings, Christina. How are you? Good. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I want to welcome everyone to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I'll be your guide today as we travel through the healthcare galaxy, as always, looking for ways towards optimal health. Hmm. We have a special day today. So I understand. Mm-hmm. I don't know uh, why it's quite so special. but uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's maybe not as special as it is just to... Uh, Get rid of the confusion that and bring be. in the light. There you go. There you go. So our special guest today is extremely, extremely special because he is actually our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. <laughs> Welcome to a, the show. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here and it's very nice to meet you, Christina. I've heard so much about you. Yes, and you too. For some strange reason, we keep meeting every Tuesday like this. And <laughs> the next strange reason is a lot of people ask me later, um, what does Glenn do? <laughs> we know he's a doctor, but what does he really do? And I say, he's a medical guide. And they go, oh, well, what's a medical guide? We've never <laughs> heard of that before. So we thought that um, to share with you, the, our audience, we thought this would be a great time for us to share with you what Dr. Glenn Woolman actually does as a medical guide. What do you say about that, Glenn? I think it's a great idea. I'm just wondering if I will be asking myself the questions or not. <laughs> that would be good. I'm, I'm sure we all have a lot of questions for you here, so it's okay. Yeah, well, uh, it'll be interesting if people call in or write in. We will answer some of those questions today. And maybe if they do that, that may be some ways of giving examples of what I do as a medical guide. <laughs> that uh, would so where should we start? I think I think maybe it would be a, a good idea to briefly give my history like I do with mm-hmm. so many other people, uh, just to take you up to date as to my journey a little bit, and then we'll spend time talking about what it's like being a medical guide and what is a medical guide and answer all of those questions. Does that, that sound all right to you? That sounds wonderful, That's not, but you just got to know that I might be shooting in questions here or there. So <laughs> bring them on. Bring them on. Sounds great. <laughs> well, I, you know, I listen to so many of the people that speak and they tell their stories about when they got mm-hmm. interested in healing. I remember uh, my father was in education and he had all of these books in his library and they were all those brown and dark red looking classical education books. You know, they had those earthy colors and the classics in literature. But there was one book hidden in his uh, library, and it was a silver book. And once a year, he would take this silver book out. This was when I was starting about seven or eight years old. Take the book out, and it was a book on human anatomy. I was fascinated by it. And by age nine, I finally figured, after all that time, wasting my life, uh, (laughs) I I decided to go into medicine. And at I nine. Pretty, at nine. Oh and I God. pretty much kind of decided that I wanted to do surgery and maybe even heart surgery. Wow. I was fortunate to have my parents were fortunate and I was fortunate because of that, because of my parents to 
have a friend. They had a friend who was a surgeon. And starting at about age 12, I was in junior high school, he started taking me to watch surgical procedures. Usually it would have to be late at night, one, two o'clock in the morning, you know, with an emergency like an appendectomy or something. And uh, my parents would drive me to the hospital. I would meet with him. I would. Oh. And the f- very first time I remember it was such an amazing experience. It, it, it was mystical and it was very ritualistic. I went into this down into a cave, which was essentially the surgical suite. And we went in and we did these uh, cleansings where we had to clean ourselves and wash hands and everything. And it, and it was very ritualistic. And then we put on these gowns that were given to us by uh, attendants. Oh, my God. So you were actually in the room. I was at the table. Wow. And I was at the table at age 12 watching surgeries. And I remember the very first time, I, I can still see it, uh, when, when the doctor was going to make an incision into the abdomen. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I didn't know if mm. things were going to explode out or spring out <laughs> or well. blood was going to come everywhere. So the anticip- anticipation was uh, really great. And then everything just moved smoothly. And from then on, uh, you know, my life was about medicine. And because I now knew at age nine what I was going to be when I grew up, I had the opportunity to uh, do other things. I got into martial arts, uh, which brought me into Asian arts and Asian philosophies. And then I started reading about other philosophies. And so I just moved right on through medical school. And at the same time, I became very interested in other healing systems around the planet. So while I was studying in medical school and learning all of the Western medicine, the sciences, uh, the basic sciences and everything else, I was still determining what I wanted to do. And I finally changed out of uh, surgery because as I was rotating through all of my specialties, you know, obstetrics and pediatrics and internal medicine and surgery and radiology and cardiology and so many different things. I was realizing that I loved all of them. (laughs) And I thought, which one, whichever one I pick, I'm going to have to eliminate the others. Mm. Well, in my junior year, between my junior and my senior year, I was, uh, I had gone to a hotel where they, I happened to be there, another story at another time, but they were having the first uh, convention of emergency room doctors. Uh, it wasn't a specialty. No one knew about it. It was people were just deciding that it needed to be a specialty. And I looked at it and I went in and to see what it was. I had no idea what it really was. I mean, I knew what the emergency room was because we had to rotate through it. Every hospital had an emergency room. But mm-hmm. uh, these people were trying to make it a specialty, and that's a whole thing in medicine. Uh, there's a lot of things that one must go through to to des- design something as a specialty. And many of the people that we're going to interview, those are specialists. But mm-hmm. to bring on a new specialty into medicine is not an easy task. But I walked in. They gave me a gift of an attache case. They showed me things, and I said, this is it. I'm going into emergency medicine. Well, they didn't even really have an emergency medicine residency program yet. 
<laughs> but I thought this is perfect. I love crisis. I love the acute care. And I, I would be able to do all types of medicine. And plus, it, it seemed to fit a lifestyle that I would like to have. And so I decided to go into emergency medicine. And I spent uh, 30 years in emergency medicine. And that's a whole other story, which we can talk about later, uh, learning many different things. Due to karmic events, at one point, uh, I was unable to practice emergency medicine anymore. And it essentially um, eliminated my entire life identity. Everything that I wanted and stood for and thought about was all gone in an instant. And I had to think about what I wanted to do. What were my choices? I really wanted to be in medicine still, but I didn't know where I could go. Do I start another residency? Do I go into urgent care? But once you're in emergency medicine, which is fantastic in itself, and as you learned from Dr. Tefankian uh, in our last talk, uh, the it's tough to go and treat diaper rash and sore throats after you're treating gunshots and, and car accidents and life-changing events. So I sat back and I looked at medicine. I said, what's in there? What's missing? And I thought a few things. One, medicine is getting very complex. We have specialists of specialists of specialists and subspecialists now, mm -hmm. which some people say it's too much. But on the other hand, when you have a problem, you love that subspecialist. Uh, but it's very complex. And even doctors don't always know who to go to when they have something that's wrong with them. Oh boy! The other thing. <laughs> that doesn't give us much hope, does it? <laughs> well, it, it's, be, it's not that. It's that they become emotionally involved. Mm. And that's why we don't always let doctors operate on family members and things like that. They, they know the science, but when it's about yourself and it's about your own emotions, uh, it's very difficult sometimes to make decisions without help. Mm -hmm. The other mm -hmm. thing is communication. I saw that doctors weren't always communicating with each other. People came into the emergency department with bags full of medications, literally shopping bags full of medications, and nobody was talking to each other. And then when you add the integrative medicine uh, healing systems, chiropractic and acupuncture and shamanic medicine and Ayurvedic and homeopathy and, and a list of others, and they're not communicating with each other, and, and the doctors, uh, the Western doctors are not communicating with them. I thought that was another uh, area that had to be addressed. And the third area was information and knowledge. For, for many years, information about medicine usually came from the doctor when you had your meeting with the doctor. And as the meetings becot, became shorter and shorter, you got less information. Well, then the inter Internet picked up. Mm -hmm. And people began to get empowered and find more information, just like uh, we talked about with Dr. Nash uh, a few weeks ago, where using the Internet uh, to empower patients and improve relationships, that's very good. But information isn't always correct information. So that was an area. So when I looked at all of that and I thought complicated communication, uh, and information, I thought, you know, I'm going to help guide people. And that's when I came up with the idea of being a medical guide. 
And I've always pushed envelopes. So we pushed the envelope of emergency medicine and made that become a specialty. And now I've decided to become a medical guide. And uh, that's what I do. And then we'll get into a little bit of what I actually do as a medical guide. So that's a little bit of my journey. Oh, yeah, that that sounds like the tip of the iceberg, really. <laughs> but at nine years old, to know that you wanted to be a doctor, that's amazing. The more amazing part about it is that they actually allowed you into the surgical room at 12. At well, uh, yes. Wow. And it was an amazing experience for me. I remember uh, <clears throat> coming back uh, from a surgery and I had to go to class the next day. But I was so wired and excited. Uh, and it was a day that we had to give some kind of a report of something we've done. And I thought, hmm, what should I talk about? Oh, my gosh. I mean, did I mean, did your teacher and classmates even believe you? <laughs> yeah, they did. It was pretty amazing. I, wow. I was really uh, fascinated by that. And I went many times and I love surgery. Magnificent. I mean, and and. My goodness, hats off to your parents to even allow you to go into the room and also drive you in the middle of the night <laughs> when they very well know you have school the next day. You know, I mean, I can see how some parents are going, are you out of your mind? My right. child has to go to school. Meanwhile, you are getting the best experience of your lifetime. That's amazing. Wow. Right. Yes, I, I, I owe them a lot. Mm. For many reasons. Now, now, don't you have another sibling as well that is a doctor? Uh, I have uh, three siblings. Uh, no one in no one in my family is in medicine. I'm the only one in medicine that I know of in my entire family. They, most people were educators. I do have uh, one brother who is a pilot, flies a seven forty seven mm. around the world. I have another brother who is uh, a teacher of health and healing and athletics. He's a trainer, a physical trainer. Uh, he has a uh, DVD on training, uh, how to train, uh, especially little kids. He loves working with uh, mm. children, but he also works with adults and athletes. Um, and I have a sister who is a PhD. She has her doctorate degree in education and special needs children. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, that's medicine in itself, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. So, Glenn, now you spoke about getting into martial arts mm. at a very young age. And mm. uh, I do believe just through our personal conversations, you had continued that as well for many years. Um, was that by choice? Did you know somewhere that 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 that's how you would cross over into the Eastern philosophies of medicine? It had a great appeal to me at an early age, never because of fighting. Mm. Uh, it, it always had an appeal to me because it seemed like the fighting was just an outer manifestation of an inner mindset. And that's what really appealed to me. The disciplines and the mindsets and the philosophy, uh, which was pretty much a against fighting or trying to avoid fighting but it was also uh the athleticism the it it incorporated so many things it incorporated using your mind using the breath uh mind body coordination uh, balance speed uh, endurance mm -hmm. you know and and it required being healthy mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so I, I really like that. And as I got more into the martial arts, which I still do uh, to this day, it's still the same for me. Uh, I must say that I do it in a different way. I've slowed it down a lot. The same uh, movements, as you know, you can do something very fast or you can do something like Qigong or Tai Chi or even yoga. They're all actually martial arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a question of where it takes you. Mm-hmm. But it but it also expanded me as I started understanding one martial art. It seemed like every culture had some form of a martial art that they uh, incorporated from their culture, from their mythologies, from their beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it was fun to uh, understand and learn all of them and appreciate aspects of all of them. It is amazing because I, I know when I study with some of the uh, elders in the healing arts world, a lot of it is based on on the martial arts, which one form, as they say, is the martial form, and the other form, which is opposite movement, is actually the healing form. Mm-hmm. And it's really amazing how you can see the difference between the two, especially when they're showing you, you know, if you do this <laughs> to the structure, well, it's going to break. If you do this, you're going to heal it. And, and it's just that balance is beautiful. So It um, is beautiful. Yes. It's also, uh, it it made me realize that healing from a from a certain point of view is not just healing but diagnosis and treatment and healing are all uh, on many levels and from many perspectives so western medicine for me is the backbone and the central nervous system Uh, but uh, at the end of the day sometimes we have to go deeper than where the western world ends and other philosophies and ways of healing pick up and we can talk about that at some point but it it really made it clear for me that uh, things need to be looked at from a number of perspectives to get true healing mm-hmm. you can get some superficial healing but uh not always true healing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and uh so Doing what you do now. So <clears throat> as you were growing up, <laughs> because that's really it. I mean, 12 years old, oh my Lord. Uh, growing up, you were immersed yourself into, you know, the world of, of surgery and medicine and became the emergency care specialist. Now, when did they actually create that position? You, you were saying that when you were graduating, they didn't even have a residency for that. Right. The <laughs> There was always the concept of emergencies, and there was always somewhere in a hospital, there was the room that was designated to if somebody got hurt, they would come in there and people would treat them. But over the years, uh, the emergency room uh, got more and more sophisticated. But the, the issue was that for many years, the people that worked in emergency rooms as the, the doctors, and this is many years ago, back in the, maybe the you know, before the 60s and early 70s, they were not specialists in emergency medicine. They were people that were learning medicine, residents that were trying to uh, learn some more things while they were finishing a residency and something else. They were getting money. They might have been married, raising a family, and they needed some a little bit of extra money. So they would work shifts in 
moonlight, we used to call it, uh, in, in the emergency room. And then as we mm. started pushing it as a, as a specialty, it became obvious that it was the, the crisis of every other specialty. When you look at what each specialty takes care of, it was the crisis of those specialties. And, uh, that, as that became more specific and more critical because time was a factor, uh, people could lose limbs, people can lose vision, people could lose life. And so we need to, we needed to have a group of people that had a body of knowledge that can react quickly and calmly in, in the midst of chaos to achieve certain goals to give people their best opportunity. And uh, so it took many years and it wasn't even really accepted by many physicians for a long time, but you have to have a certain status, which, uh, you know, of a body of knowledge and uh, certain examinations. So we eventually made it a board certified uh, mm. specialty. And now it's gone from an emergency room, which most people call it, you know, just like the TV show ER. I was just going to say, what do you think of that show? <laughs> Actually, we helped to write it. Oh. Uh, I can tell you that story or at another time. But uh, it was great. But we no longer call it emergency room. We call it an emergency department because we've de we believe that we developed the status Mm -hmm. uh, to be an actual department, like a department of surgery, a department of medicine, a department of pediatrics. We've elevated ourselves to that level. Mm -hmm. But when I was doing that, we didn't even, uh, they were just starting maybe one or two residencies. And I, I had a great opportunity. I went into surgery because I thought that would be the most important for me to learn how to make a diagnosis of an acute abdomen, mm -hmm. how to use surgical instruments like uh, scalpels and mm -hmm. A number of other things. Because would would you also perform surgery when necessary? Sure. Right. You we wouldn't wait for a doctor, a specialist to come in. You would just perform it if need be, right right away. Depended on the process. Uh, you know, we, there were many types of surgeries. If somebody had a laceration across their face, if I felt I could take care of it, I would suture them up. If somebody dislocated a shoulder, I could replace. Uh, back into the socket. Uh, if somebody had an appendicitis, I wouldn't do emergency appendectomy. I would send them to a surgeon and then they would go to the operating room and do that. But if, for example, uh, somebody, uh, there were a few times it gets a little uh, deep here, but sometimes gunshot wounds in the chest, you have to open up someone's chest and stop the bleeding in the heart mm. and massage the heart, those kind of things uh, we did. Uh, sometimes if people had, uh, too much bleeding in their brain, at one point we were putting a hole in the skull to allow bleeding to come out and release the pressure. And so mm. became an emergency department, became specialty. And, uh, it's, to me, it's one of the best specialties there is. Mm. Mm. Magnificent. Wow. Talk about having to, the knowledge all around. Now, I, now I'd like to know how then and when did you start getting into what at one time they would call the alternative medicine, which is now integrative. But at that time, it was alternative. It was either, 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 right? The, as you said, mm -hmm. the two didn't speak together 
back then. Acupuncture was over here. You know, herbology was over here. How did you get into that? Well, again, that started when I was young, uh, where when I would get sick with colds and things like that, my parents would give me over-the-counter medicines, which would get rid of the symptom that it was designed to, but they would make me feel bad or there were other side effects that I didn't like. So I started researching and saw that there were other things that could take care of a stuffy nose or other things that could take care of nausea. And so I became very interested in that. And uh, working where I worked in Florida, uh, we were influenced by the islands, you know, the Cuban island and Haiti. And then there were also Indians in Florida, the Seminoles. So there were people that I learned from and and had understandings from that they treated things differently and people got better. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like they used an herb and people got worse. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they got better. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, maybe, you know, I don't have to eliminate medicine. Maybe I can uh, add medicine. And that's why I actually use my own phrase instead of alternative or integrative medicine, I call it combinatorial medicine now where I'm combining uh, different aspects of healing systems for each individual as a medical guide. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I started out very early and it just became too interesting to stop learning about it. The, (laughs) The more I advanced in my age and in my career and in experiences and traveling around the world, it was too fascinating to say, no, I don't want to learn this anymore. (laughs) And the, and the people, you know, as you know, you work with uh, elders and and healers and and top level people around the world doing things uh, that are pretty good. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's also their philosophies and the way that they look at life and practice that that brings more of, you know, we use the word a lot, holistic, but it does bring a holistic uh, process to the healing process. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. So I started early and I saw no reason ever to uh, discontinue it. And it also added to the fact that living uh, in a place where it's international, like California, you start seeing people from other cultures and these people that come from other cultures may show up in an emergency department. Uh, They really are used to their own type of healing systems. And those are the things they're looking for in Western medicine. uh, Many times somebody gets a sore throat, they're looking for an antibiotic, but there are many people out there that just don't want to take an antibiotic and would rather take an herb of some kind or multiple herbs or drink a special concoction of teas. Um, And I liked that in the emergency department because it gave me more options, especially when I didn't believe that somebody needed to be on an antibiotic and I wanted to help educate them and say, you're going to get better if you just do this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the more that I worked with these healers and more that I learned, the more I was able to do for, uh, my patients at that time. Mm. How wonderful. I I love that. (laughs) I did too. I mean, I love the fact that I have options. Yes. You know, they always talk about if you're a hammer, it's a nail. 
right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I have a whole toolbox. <laughs> That's so. wonderful. What a great way to look at that. And 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 I'm, you know, it's well, at least out here in in California, we know that that people are are looking for other means now, and they are looking. You know, they're not always driven to the antibiotics. There's a place for everything. There's a mm-hmm. place for everything. And I think people are becoming more and more aware. And I think through the shows that we do, Glenn, that they're, they're understanding. And so many of the specialists that you've uh, introduced to us also um, respect the integrative medicine or the other healing arts because they do believe that, you know, they're, they're, it's about balance and there is about if that if that works for you and makes you feel better, why not? <laughs> you know, if it's working, right. yeah. you know, like you looked at the indigenous cultures and their medicine, it works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for it may some take things, a little longer sometimes, right. but it does work, right? And, yeah, but sometimes it doesn't, and it's mm-hmm. good to, you know, have backup, right? And and having backup as Western medicine uh, for me is is good. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, so now it brings us all the way around to where you are at now. Not mm-hmm. only are you our wonderful co-host of the Magical Medical Tour every week, and hopefully more after this, you know, in the coming mm-hmm. months, but, but where are you at now? I, I know that you do work with the Santa Barbara Healing Center, right? Santa healing Barbara Sanctuary. Healing Sanctuary. Right. And, uh, which you are amongst a group of wonderful doctors there as well, working together. Um, what, what is it you do for individuals now, Glenn? I mean, when, let's just say I have an issue. I've been diagnosed with, with, um, for example, breast cancer. Okay. God forbid. But for example, because so many women are, uh, and men, of course. And I come to you and I say, okay, I don't know what to do. Um, my doctor's given me all these alternatives, possibilities of, you know, the, the chemo, the radiation, um, you know, uh, surgery, but that's not exactly what I want to do. Okay. I know that there was a time I have had many friends who've passed on because of breast cancer. And the first thing they did was, of course, have a mastectomy. And, um, surgically removed the breast and then followed up with chemo and followed up with the radiation. And, uh, you know, with not, with extending their life, but not, of course, with great success. And some have had wonderful success, but those ones that have, have combined it with acupuncture and herbs. So, right, right. so if I were to come to you to go, okay, what do I do? You know, what, what is the process? What, what do we, what, how would you work with me? Okay. I, that's a great question and it's a, it would be a perfect example, but I want to spread it out a little bit first and then come back to the Mm -hmm. specifics of what, of uh, your question. When I was in the emergency department, whoever came in, I treated. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I don't treat everyone anymore. Some people don't need medical guidance. Some people uh, don't necessarily want it. Some people aren't interested in certain parts of it. So I have to look at people now and work with them to determine whether or not they actually, before we do anything, want a medical guide. So I talk to people first. And I look at the spectrum 
everyone set, starts out relatively healthy. I mean, except there are certain people in life that are not healthy. But for the most part, people start out healthy. And then throughout life, we have uh, periods of illness and injury. And during those illness periods and injury periods, there is some variation of what happens next. Either people do not survive the illness or injury, or they recover poorly, or they recover adequately, or they recover really well. Then they go back to health. And then they go into a period of dying and then death. So that's the whole spectrum of where people are. Within that spectrum, people come to me and I work with people on all of those levels. So from the first level of a healthy level, people want to get healthier or maintain optimal health. So I look and work with people. I start with a very long and intense interview. And this is after the preliminary interview where we just talk to see if we're compatible with each other and and I explain what I do as a medical guide and they explain their needs and if we assume we're cal uh compatible then we move forward and I take mm -hmm. a very extensive history and I don't do a physical exam anymore but it's I take an extensive history uh and I learn not just about the physical parts of a person but the social parts of a person maybe some of the economic parts of a person, the uh, philosophical, the spiritual, uh, many different parts because they all come into play. And then I work in categories where I look at nutrition, exercise, stress management, sleep management, spirituality, and patterns of behavior. And in those areas, I work with people in the different realms of what's going on. When someone's healthy, we get them healthier so that we can potentially uh, prepare for illness or injury and do some prevention. And then if somebody does get ill or injured, we I work with them and give them tools to get through their illness and injury so that the recovery and the healing is as optimal as possible. And then finally, in the dying and the death process, I work with people there also. Mm. So many of the things that I do, I look at uh, trying to sometimes, for example, somebody may call me and say, I just moved into this town. My husband and I moved into a town and we want to find a new uh, primary care doctor. So I will talk to both of them. What do you want? Do you want someone older, younger, male, female? Do you want someone interested in combinatorial or integrative medicine? Do you want someone to know what specific things you have? If let's say you're a, a, a deep sea diver and that's your passion, but you also have joint problems. So maybe you need someone that knows a little more about this or more about mm -hmm. that. So that may be one thing that I do also, aside from life balance, helping people to get a doctor. And also, I might even interview the doctors. Uh, you know, I may, I, and, I, and I've actually called uh, emergency departments because they know which doctors are the most responsive to their uh, patients mm. at times. So I, I get a lot of information and help people find the right healers. Uh, and that could be a combination of healers, but it, it really determines and is determined by what this person wants and what their needs are. So it is not a template anymore. And that's where being a medical guide 
comes into play. I must say that everyone, I believe, that is a healer is some form of a medical guide. They're always trying to help people. And if they get into a situation where they think an acupuncturist saying, you know, I think you need to see another person and they may recommend someone Mm -hmm. and other physicians always recommend, you know, specialists. So we're all medical guides in a way. But what I do differently is I spend a lot of time in communication. And I'm not talking about 15 minutes. I'm talking about hours and hours and hours working with people and talking to them and figuring things out and getting to different levels of where they are and Mm -hmm. how they view illness and how they view uh, healing. So then we move to that and then we may come to specifics. Somebody comes to me like yourself, as you gave in the example, with a condition and it happens to be the breast cancer. Uh, well, I may even work with family members. If you had sisters, uh, we may want to look at genetics and I may mm-hmm. want to take it not just from you, but to your family and say, do we need to be concerned because this is a genetic type of a process? And so I look at and work with the person and so they come to me at various stages. This may be a person that hasn't been diagnosed yet. They just have something that's hurting them in the breast and they haven't even made a diagnosis yet. Mm. So we have to figure that part out because diagnosis is, is primary. We need to have the diagnosis. Then that gives us options in, in terms of healing and treatment. So I work with people and talk to them and find out how they view what they have. Okay. You were just diagnosed with breast cancer. How do you view that? What do you think? What, what would happen? These are some of the options. What, what would happen to you? How would you feel about yourself with a mastectomy? Is that going to be important? Do you not care? Uh, do you want to take off the other breasts? So, because there's, so there's many parts to this. And the, the most important part, I think for me is getting to know, and I don't call them patients anymore. For me, they're now clients. They become patients to their doctors when I send them to different people. Uh, But uh, to me, I work with them as clients and we spend a lot of time talking and we go over all the options. Here's the benefits of surgery. Here's the risks of surgery. And as we go through each of those benefits and risks, I'm assessing how you're reacting to it. You may Mm -hmm. react verbally one way, say, oh, yeah, that's not a big problem. But I'll hear in your voice or I'll see in your body language (laughs) that maybe it is a big problem. So I won't stop at that and say, okay, you just said to me, it's not a big problem. So let's schedule the surgery. I'm seeing something that's not quite right. So let's talk about it a little more. And then uh, we, we come to conclusions Mm -hmm. and in working with people, I empower them. And I say to them, I'm not your doctor. I'm your guide. And as your guide, I'm going to give you as much knowledge as we both need to make the best decisions. And then I will help you make your decisions. I will give you my suggestions. And if you don't feel that's a good suggestion, then my ego takes me to a place where I don't worry about that. Even if it was my suggestion, I say, what's going to work for you? Uh, I may try and talk them into something if I really believe it. And I and I find that their reasons for not doing it is just a lack of knowledge or some 
some fear that they might have had based on a rumor of, of something. And if I can allay the fears and get them more into the process, then that's good. But if, if there's something that uh, I believe should be done and they don't want to do, like many of the uh, specialists that I've interviewed before on our show, uh, we have to honor what the client and patient want. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. getting back again to your process, which do you go with? Uh, surgery, chemotherapy, or combinations of therapy? Uh, that's what it becomes. Everything becomes combinatorial medicine for uh, my client and myself. And we talk all the way through it as we're going through a process. If, we, if we're in chemo, if before if we go to surgery, I prepare them for the surgery so that they go into the surgery with the best mindset possible and mm. physically as, as good as possible and spiritually as good as possible. And when they come out of the surgery, working with them right away towards healing and guiding them in healing, not rushing them, but going, finding the rate that's right for them so that it could be optimal. Mm. And then looking again at, okay, you're having these complications. Here's some options. We can go and get you this Western medicine, which will work for the pain, or we could potentially try uh, acupuncture and meditation for the nausea and the pain. So a number of combinations of things to put together for each individual as we move forward through any type of healing process. I hope that answered some of the question for you. Oh, just just a little bit. (laughs) I think, think though, uh, as I said before, the first part is diagnosis. And it's important to get a diagnosis. And I, people come to me at various stages. Some have already got the diagnosis. Some have had a number of tests and they still haven't figured out the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Well, then this is where I move. First, I start with Western again. And we look for the possible diagnosis on things that we can look under a microscope, look in yes. a lab test and something we can remove or replace or burn out or or poison or irradiate or Mm -hmm. whatever and all good things you know i love as we talked about before antibiotics i love antibiotics they do great things for people at the right time but in the diagnosis part of the process sometimes i find that we in western medicine heal the obvious but then there's something more subtle and deeper in Mm -hmm. a person that's that may be more of the cause of the problem. And if we don't deal with that, uh, people may get lucky and not have a problem again, but most of the time something will come back because we haven't dealt with something a little deeper. And that's part of the secondary work that I do to take people deeper and say, you know, what do you, what could be more of the cause of this problem? Mm -hmm. Are there neuro emotional things that are either affecting your immune system or a healing system of some type or that are aggravating systems. And so we move to deeper levels as I work with my clients. And these are clients that also want to do the work. As I said before, in the emergency department, whoever came in, I treated because that was what we did. And it didn't require too much from people. They had to be there. But in being a medical guide, which takes it's over a lifetime or over a period of time, 
it requires that people sometimes also do work. If, you know, a simple example would be uh, if people had diabetes and lots of joint problems and inflammations and we found out they were eating, uh, I'm going to use the medical term, gobs of uh, <laughs> refined sugar every day. Gobs. Then, That's a medical term, is it? <laughs> it is. It's gobs. gobs? It, it's a certain amount. It's a little more than an aliquot. Oh, that's great. <laughs> it's, it's like, I've taken I, an aliquot of refined sugar today. <laughs> right. Which is much safer than a gob. I see. But if, uh, if I see someone is doing that, then I will point that out to them and suggest to them as patterns of behavior and for reasons, we'll look at why you're doing that and figure out how you can stop and change that pattern and do something else. Mm -hmm. But this is where I talk about the work. I'm not going to their house. I'm not going to their cabinet. I'm not going to remove the the sugar, and I'm not going to stop them from doing it. I just try to bring them, and this is a very important part of being a medical guide for me, is to take people from intellect to consciousness. So they may come to the point where they understand that the refined sugar is not good for them, but they still have the craving and they're still uh, having the refined sugar, even though they know it's not good. So this is where the work comes in. And part of the work is to take people to understand the consciousness of why they should not be doing that and why they should be in a more healing place. And when they do that, then we succeed. And then we go sometimes if people don't get better after the first level, the Western level, and then maybe the neuroemotional level. Then we go to even a deeper third level, and this is a very spiritual level. And and sometimes, depending on who I'm working with and their uh, systems and their cultures, uh, we open ourselves to variations and look for things like past lives uh, mm. or karma and uh, spirituality. And in doing that, sometimes we can finally get to a true healing. So depending on uh, what level people want to work and where we try to go, this also determines the treatments. Mm. You know, it, if people just want to accept the fact that uh, they have an ulcer and they want a certain surgery or a certain antibiotic, then we go there. But I try to work with them and say there might be other things that will help that will really make this healing better for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's really a lot to do with the conversations that you have with individuals and then for you to create the different possibilities and awarenesses for them to to follow or trust or try ex experience and, and see which ones flow and actually create the change and the shift for them. It's all about that. It's all about the communication. But one of the things that I learned working in the emergency department, I had a real interesting process because when people came into the emergency department, many of them were scared mm -hmm. because they had something that they didn't like and they yes. didn't know what the outcome was going to be. So I had a, an ability and most emergency department physicians have an ability to get to problems quickly. And also to have people tell the truth. I, I had many situations where I've asked questions of someone that their spouse of 40 years didn't know the answer to that they just heard for the first time oh. because I asked the question and the person knew 
that they couldn't give their normal answer that they've given to all their friends and relatives because their life or their pain or something else was yes. at stake here. So they, you know, sometimes I could see, I would watch them as they're answering me and I would see their eyes shift over to the spouse knowing, okay, you didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! So, right. So one of the things that I learned to do uh, is to try and really get to the truth of, of things. Uh, and that's an important part of making the diagnosis and then determining uh, what therapy, because if we're going in the wrong direction, it doesn't serve. Mm. Mm. So it is, it's really about the communication and getting to the heart of it with people, getting deeper than normal. And as a medical guide, I, I really do spend a lot of time with people. People are not used to that. Sometimes I'll be with them for an hour and a half. Mm. Uh, sometimes I've had sessions where we've gone on for three, three and a half hours of communication. Mm. And I, I really like that because it gets me to know people and to enjoy people. Mm -hmm. In the emergency department, it was always that one area of the critical moment of someone's life. But now as a medical guide, I'm on all the other moments. I'm in the healthy period. I'm in the pre-period. I'm in the not as much in the critical care, although I have worked with people. <laughs> I had one client who was uh, having a seizure and I was working with their sister at mm. the moment over the phone while they were having the seizure. I was they were describing what was happening. I was interpreting. We got them to get on the phone, call 911. The ambulance people came out. They got them to the hospital. I continued working with the sister, explaining, okay, here's what's going to happen when you get to the hospital. This is what they're going to do. This is what you're going to need to Thank tell God them. Thank God for cell phones. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and everything else right now. Communication is important, and all the technology that we're using today yes. is even more important. So, so Glenn, do you find that people come and begin a relationship with you um, even before anything happens? Or, or do, do you find that, that they're creating that relationship with you just in case that they are diagnosed with something or something does happen that they, are, they feel comfortable? There are variations, and a lot of it depends on when I meet people. There are certainly... Uh, I would have to say that most of the people that I work with uh, have something wrong already. Mm -hmm. um, and they either know what's wrong and they're or they partially know what's wrong. Sometimes mm -hmm. people have, for example, a headache, you know, and they've been worked up with scans and a number of things where they know that it's not a tumor. They know that it's not this. They know that it's not that. It's just maybe it's a migrainous type of a headache mm -hmm. or some inflammatory, and they've been on every different medication, uh, and they're tired of it, and they want something different now. So then they'll come to me. Mm. Other people are still in the diagnostic phase. Uh, and occasionally, uh, there are people that are relatively healthy mm -hmm. that want to get healthier, and those are... Uh, those are the more interesting ones because we can go deeper without a time process mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, somebody that's having heart problems, we need to act quickly and do things. Whereas somebody who's pretty healthy, we could take more time and prepare for things. Mm -hmm. But I would say 
most of the people, at least now, and again, remember, medical guide, it's not a specialty yet. I believe, in my mind, that before the turn of the next century, and it seems like a long way away, but at some point, you know, when we're doing our 4,577th show, uh, we'll be able to <laughs> announce that it's become a specialty. But right now, it's not a specialty. And not only is it a specialty, but nobody even knows that it really exists mm -hmm. as a process. When somebody uh, has a heart problem, they're having chest pain, everyone in the world knows about a cardiologist. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's easy to make the decision to go to a cardiologist. But when somebody uh, has a medical decision to make, nobody thinks, hmm, medical guide, at least not yet. That will happen at some point in the future. I believe that because of what I said before, with the complexity of medicine and the communication and more and more combinatorial uh, healing systems come into use, uh, we're going to need medical guides as a specialty. And at that point, people will think of a medical guide just as they do a primary care doctor or an orthopedic surgeon or something else. Mm -hmm. Right mm -hmm. now, they don't think of that. And that's part of the interesting process for me in getting the word out mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I exist. <laughs> I, I, I guide, therefore I am. <laughs> Well, I think that's why we have you do the show is to let people know you do exist now, especially now they understand what it is that you do. Now, a very important question, um, Glenn, that I have is, okay, so you work with people here in the U.S. What about working with people internationally? It's a very good question. I actually work with people all over the world. Uh, most of the work that I do can be done over the phone because again it's communication and now and now with Skype and, and things like that I can easily do that but I've I've worked with people uh for years now some of these people I've never seen I've mm -hmm. never met them I usually choose if I have the opportunity I'll go to uh, a large extent to try and meet with a person personally and be in physical uh, presence with them because that that helps me to learn a little more about body language and about voice changes and things like that so that once I know that about the person when I'm speaking to them on the phone I can ask them a question and in their answer I'll feel their arms crossing or I'll feel them tightening up or I'll feel their voice change and hear their voice change and I will know that but I don't always get to do that but I do work with people all over the world. And in fact, that's another part of the process for me in terms of working with someone. Let's say I had someone here in California. One of the things that I ask them is, to what extent will you go for your healing? For example, mm -hmm. I may have, an, in certain cases, you may have something that I believe that going to an ashram in India and being with an Ayurvedic doctor for six weeks on their diet may be something that would benefit you. Are mm -hmm. you interested in doing that? Or for people, uh, there are people that may have various healing systems in Switzerland. There may be a clinic in Switzerland where a doctor will take care of someone with Lyme disease in a way that 
we don't do it here. They put them on intravenous medications that they've uh, decided were good, certain types of vitamin supplements, and they give them special diets that they prepare for them. So not only might I want to take care of someone that is in Switzerland, but I may also offer someone the possibility of going to Switzerland for part of their treatment. Oh, my. <laughs> so one Save of the, your money. <laughs> yeah, well, some in some places, actually, uh, and we hear this a lot, people go to different parts of the world because it, it actually saves them money. You can get dental work in yes. Thailand, for example, or certain procedures in Mexico that are much less expensive than in the United States, for example. So from that point of view, it's uh, it's also ways yeah. to save money. And and that's another thing that uh, medical guiding does that I find that, as we talked about before, the Internet and information is out there. But we don't always know if it's good or correct or something. So there are many people that are trying to do the right thing and take good supplements and eat balanced diets, etc., but they may be spending money because they hear that a certain supplement is good, mm -hmm. but it, but the brand of the supplement may yes. not be good. And they may just go to some place and say, oh, coenzyme Q10. I yes. heard that was great. It's great for my heart. Oh, oh there it is. Uh, and I will spend $60 for 10 capsules and it's going to be good for me. Well, it may be. But they may mm -hmm. also get a brand that is not that good. So right. that's part of also what I do in terms of the knowledge of uh, these different supplements or different healers or, or alternative therapies. Sometimes we have to evaluate them, too. Just because they've existed for thousands of years doesn't necessarily mean that in your particular case or this particular drug or supplement is going to really work for you and you're spending money on something that yes. you don't need to be. You might as well be spending it on something that you actually need or your body needs at that moment. Right. I, I agree with you. I hear a lot of people who say that to me like, oh, you know, I'm I'm taking this and I'm taking that and I hear this is really good. And I go, but do you really need it? <laughs> do right. you need it at this time? You know, and and of course, you we always hear about, you know, how expensive it is. And I say, well, you know, here in the U.S., though, it's it, you're, we are weighing between um, uh, the cost of the supplement, keeping us healthy, healthy and optimal health, as mm -hmm. opposed to when what happens when you actually end up getting diagnosed with something and sick. I mean, y y there's no there's there, there's such is like oranges to apples, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right? And it's fascinating for me. And I'm. You know, I, I loved emergency medicine, and this is something that I also love. They're almost completely different, mm -hmm. but uh, in terms of the realms of where we are. But uh, it's fascinating to get to know people from a doctor-client, doctor-patient relationship mm -hmm. in a different way than I ever did before. In medicine, in Western medicine, in medical school, and throughout the history of medicine, they always say that if you can take a good history, really good history, you should be able to be about 95% sure of your diagnosis already. And then you just need a few lab tests or imaging studies or a few things to confirm it. But 
and I find that to be true. But the the issue is that in normal practices of people in an office, they don't get to sit down and take that really detailed, long history of asking the question five different ways so that the person answers it. And certainly in the emergency department, where sometimes I might have had minutes to seconds, or Mm -hmm. I would have someone in a coma that I couldn't even ask the questions to. Uh, But now it's it's delightful in a way and uh, very gives me a lot of insight into the human species. Uh, when I get to speak to people for long periods of time and learn what healing is to them and how they look at healing and what priority healing takes versus many other things in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, Glenn, I, because of what you've gotten into now, which is assisting people in finding their optimal health. I also know when I first met you that you had also designed a routine, a system for individuals that you are still working on. Is that correct? Uh, You're talking about my exercise program? Yes. Yes. uh, I am still working on it. Uh, and thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate that. I believe that, uh, as I said before, you know, I look at nutrition, exercise, spirituality, stress management, sleep management, patterns of behavior. And I have been working for many years on exercise and ways to exercise that will incorporate many of the parts of what I just mentioned. And I'm in the process of uh, putting this together to help people with this exercise form that could be used any, almost anywhere, anytime. I've used it on transatlantic or transoceanic flights. Uh, you don't need any special equipment for it. Uh, and it incorporates a number of things, stretching and range of motion and strength and uh, meditation and breathing and stress reduction. So it's a whole form of exercise that connects the body and the mind and the spirit in a form. Mm. And I guess it's, you know, part of it is my martial arts training and the and the love of having a discipline that has things in it. But based on what I've seen in uh, in health and healing, uh, there are things that need to be addressed. And as we change and as we get older, uh we need to continue to exercise, but mm-hmm. we can't necessarily do it in the ways that we did it when we were 16, 17, 20, things like that. And uh, this also is a form that will help people during healing, uh, like Joseph Pilates, for example, who designed uh, programs that that people could use while in a hospital bed. Uh, these This is a program that people can use when they're healing or when they have limited motion. There are many parts to this exercise program, and I believe that at some point it would be a great system for people to use in general. Certainly, you can use other things with it. It's Sometimes it can be just part of a whole exercise program, but mm-hmm. uh, hopefully at some point it will be incorporated into everybody's lifestyle. There we go. We're waiting for it. We're very excited. <laughs> We're very excited. Now, I'm going to come back um, to a question that we kind of touched upon which is the mo- the movie television program, the series ER. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, I live in an area where the number of uh, emergency medicine doctors, and one of the great things about emergency medicine are the stories. When right. if you get a group of anesthesiologists together, and I love anesthesia, you know, <laughs> uh, but when they get together and talk, that there aren't that many stories. But if you could imagine how many things that we have seen, we've seen. Anyone that works in an emergency department has seen the entire spectrum and realm of humanity mm. from the worst of the worst to the best of the best to the most poignant, the most tragic, uh, the most humorous, the uh, ironic, everything. It, it's all in the emergency department. And when a group of emergency doctors get together, it becomes a story festival. Because we even have categories of, of uh, stories. And each one, when somebody tells a story, it usually triggers two or three stories from the other doctors. So everyone, it's almost like, oh, I'll see your broken arm and raise you two ribs and a punctured <laughs> lung. You know, one of those kind of things. And then all of the other stories start going. So anyway, when uh, the series before it started one of their top writers was friends with an emergency department doctor here where i live and they made a plan they came up to our area and there were about 12 emergency doctors that got together at one of these doctors houses and this uh writer came up with a with a scribe and with recording devices and all mm -hmm. sorts of things and we started in the morning and he got us breakfast and we all started telling stories going around the room, around the room, around the room. And then we were at lunch and he got us lunch and then we were at dinner. So we spent maybe 14 or 15 hours telling story after story after story. Mm. And uh, these this was the basis for all of ER. Yes. So many of the stories that we saw that everybody viewed were our stories mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh how wonderful that's i never really watched nice the show i was on that show <laughs> so really? that's why it's really wonderful to know that yes I and of course they it. always have you know when they're shooting these episodics you know whether it be you know a police series or a doctor series they always have somebody there who is representative to tell them you know if things right. that they're doing are actually done or it's fictional or not. And, and they, they are, they were very good about being as factual as they could, you know. <laughs> so, how wonderful. Well, there's a little piece of trivia for all I'll of give us. You, I'll give you a little more of that trivia. Uh, my parents never really understood what I did until that show came on. Oh, they, how they, magnificent. If you remember, they were very much interested in and thinking I was going to be a surgeon my whole life. Yeah. And when I decided not to be a surgeon, in fact, they had plans for me to work with the surgeon that had trained me, essentially, and move into his practice. <laughs> uh, so when I told them I wasn't going to do that, and I told them I was going to do emergency medicine, which was not a specialty that anyone knew about yet, right. they, for 10 or 15 years, they had no clue what I did. I mean, they sort of had an idea, but they didn't really grasp it. And when that show came on, uh, my mother talked to me at one point and finally said, now I see what you do. Oh, wow. Wow. Isn't, oh, how wonderful. Yeah, that was great. 
And I said to you, I mentioned a moment ago that I never actually watched the show. Mm. And the reason was uh, sometimes what you just alluded to um, where they want to be professional, sometimes because it's still a show and they Mm -hmm. want to make it dramatic. uh, Sometimes they took a little liberty. Liberty. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd be watching the show. Or, or I would turn it on or something, and I would say, "Oh no, it's 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 an aneurysm! Don't you get it? Oh, it's no. an aneurysm! They need this medicine. Why don't you give them that? What are you waiting for?" And I found myself, I, I was working the show. Oh no! <laughs> I can't do this. I see it all the time. I just said, "Yeah, maybe I won't watch that show. It was uh, too stressful for me." <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Well, um, Glenn, I am going to ask you this question, which you ask all your guests, which is a tip for our audience. Oh, a health tip. A health tip. Absolutely. Your turn. You're on the stage now. It's your turn. Wow. Well, I, you know, I do actually have a health tip. Of course, I have many of them and and stay healthy rather than trying to work your way Mm -hmm. back to health. But I, worked, you know, in some critical areas and colds are one of the worst things you can get. They're annoying. They get in the way. They never come at the right time. You never feel well and everything. And imagine I would have to stick that tongue blade down the throat of a three-year-old who would always, you know, they were sick with a fever, 103, and they had a cold or a flu and and they would cough right in my face all the time. And, And I rarely got colds. And there's a few things that I did. These may sound a little bit bizarre, but I learned them over the years. And I do this even, especially when I'm in airplanes or when, whenever I hear somebody cough, I immediately start exhaling and blowing the air away from me rather than bringing whatever air is near me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you remember uh, a few weeks ago with Dr. Wright, where he was talking about tuberculosis and mm, somebody yes. in an aisle. Well, when I and if I hear that on an emer- on a plane, I will start exhaling and and blowing air away from me. So any of those little viruses floating in the world uh, go in different directions. I will even go to the point where I will take the uh, the air blower at the top above me and I will face it more toward where the cough was wherever it was coming from. So I was going to say, okay, well, you keep exhaling, but when do you inhale? (laughs) You have to inhale every once in a while. But the other part of it, that's the first part that I do. And I I try to wash my face um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. afterwards. But the the one thing that I've found, and this is sort of in the area of the neti pot and the those, most viruses that we inhale start out in the area that goes up into the nose and where the nose makes a curve, mm-hmm. the airway makes a curve down into the throat. And that's where they start to colonize. And when they get to a certain critical mass, you get sick. Mm-hmm. If there's only two of them, two little viruses there, you're not going to get sick. It's when they reach a critical mass and they start producing things that produce the mucus and the inflammatory processes and the fever processes. All of those happen. So what I do whenever I know that I've been exposed to something, be it in an airplane, be it in a bus, be it, uh, you know, around yeah. a lot of people at a party that night, 
or my first chance I get, when I get into a shower, I make sure that I inhale small amounts of the water from the shower to wash out that area. It's mm -hmm. called the naso or nose and pharyngeal or pharynx or throat, the nasopharyngeal area. So I inhale just a little bit of water very lightly. I don't try and choke myself or swallow it, or I don't try and get it into my lungs. I'm just trying to wash out that area. And if I do that for a day or two, consciously, whenever I really think I've been exposed, uh, I've prevented so many illnesses for myself, including during flu seasons when everybody is sick. Mm -hmm. So that's my health tip, to be aware of what you might catch, try and stay away from people coughing. And then if you think you were exposed, uh, do that wash. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. Anytime I travel, the first that what travels with me is my neti pot with the salt <laughs> and everything. <laughs> On and off planes I mean, or really busy events and conferences. I, I bring it with me. Thank you. <laughs> and there are even, uh, you know, when it gets to a level that I think just the water in the shower doesn't work, mm -hmm. then I go to either the neti pot or some of these other uh, devices. And there are even uh, some homeopathic remedies that aside from just the salt water or something else, mm -hmm. uh, there are some things depending on how uh, extensive I think the potential uh, virus colony might mm -hmm. be or how invasive they may be, then I go to higher levels of attack. It's just <laughs> like in martial arts again, you know, first you just try and not get hurt. And then try and stop something and then, you know, you have to disable or whatever. So you have to take it to a different level. If it's just a minimal exposure, maybe the water in the shower. But sometimes I bring in the big guns. The big guns. <laughs> well, we're going to have to bring in people to talk about those big guns with you. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you so much, Glenn, for sharing with us your a little bit of your history. and. What it is you do being a medical guide. This was really educational, I think, for all of us. And, and I do hope that, um, uh, your field, like the ER department becomes, you know, established and people begin to recognize it. And I, I agree with you. I think it's very much needed these days as people are getting more and more confused with everything that they're finding out there. And, you know, fear is it. You know, they're, they're already scared of what they have and, to have someone as calm as you are has such a full understanding of all these areas of healing modalities. I, I believe that you would, you know, just to be able to have a conversation with you. I know for me, it's brilliant, but you know, for those out there, I think uh, it, it's such a, it's such a, a world where, you know, you are able to give them the insight and the love and attention because I know the way you work, which is very much from your heart, that they feel it and they already begin to feel better and nurtured. So thank you for that. That is I you. appreciate that. <laughs> uh, the, the only other thing that I, I didn't mention or maybe I alluded to was I don't treat people anymore. And I do that for two reasons. One is so that I can keep my ego out of it. Mm -hmm. And two is I work with your own healers or I work with their healers. And so other healers are not concerned that I'm going to take anyone away. 
I don't do that. I, I work with the doctors that mm-hmm. you have as your team mm-hmm. and sometimes uh, bring in more. But yes, uh, it needs to come from the heart because that's where a lot of the healing comes from anyway. So mm-hmm. if I'm not coming from my heart, I won't be able to reach their heart. Mm. Lovely. Lovely. Um, Christina, thank yes. you. I, I learned a lot today about myself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll change. I, I may have to change the outfits I start wearing when I start asking the kind of questions but, you did. <laughs> Oh my. Today was fun. Yes, it was a lot of fun. It was great to get to know our medical guide here at Yoga Hub. What we might want to do uh, at some point, just looking into the future, uh, you know, we usually get questions or I get questions periodically. So there might be a time that we might want to have an episode or two every once in a while to just have some people call in with questions for a medical guide, you know, Mm -hmm, give people mm -hmm. the opportunity to uh talk to a medical guide and see what it's like there you go there you go or else we'll we'll create it so that people can can uh, ask their questions you know via email and everything and then we can do the whole show around that and we'll let them know that that's the day you'll be speaking a bit and if they would like to be on live that would be great the wonderful thing about what we're doing is as everyone can listen in whenever they can make the time as opposed to, you know, saying, well, it's over, so you have to wait till the next episode. <laughs> right. Oh, that's uh, great. I think part of the design that you and I had for this show was as we accumulate uh, a body of shows, it will be uh, sort of a, a guidebook to people to make their own decisions. There will be yeah. so much information and so many specialties that people will now get insights into medicine and healing and opportunity and options mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. creating wellness in their life before things happen oh, i like it yes yes that that's the goal isn't it so i would like to uh thank my very special guest dr glenn wallman <laughs> <laughs> for sharing his expertise and wisdom through his life and experiences and i also would like to thank all of my healers as always and all of my teachers uh, that have helped me through my lifetime. And I look forward to uh, traveling with Christina uh, through the healthcare galaxy in the future, searching for ways toward optimal health. Mm. Many blessings. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Glenn Woolman, for sharing with us your expertise today. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening in. And we look forward to having you with us every Tuesday at 10.30 Pacific Standard Time, um, 1.30 Eastern Time, um, every Tuesday for the Magical Medical Tour. And on Wednesday, it is YHTV's Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And that's uh, where I am not always with um, doctors, but with people who are wanting to make change in this world, in this planet, and hopefully they will inspire you and uh, to create any change. Um, so we thank you for joining us and just want to also let you know that uh, you can contact and find Glenn at myyogahub.com forward slash G Woolman. And on Twitter, his handle is at 
Glenn Woolman, which is all one word. And of course, um, just to remind everyone as well, uh, Dr. Glenn Woolman has also has this wonderful CD called Sleep Sweet. And uh, we it is here in Shop Yoga Hub. And for those of you or friends and loved ones who have issues with um, sleeping or, you know, just needing something to help them relax in the evenings before they have their wonderful end to the day. Uh, the Sleep Suite is a wonderful CD that I would highly recommend. I wish I could make it through the whole thing. I just tend to drift <laughs> off into La La Land. <laughs> so I've never actually finished the CD and I'm too scared to listen to it during the day when I'm trying to work. <laughs> Don't want to lose me. Um, so um, I recommend that to you all. And also um, YHTV, which is yogahub.tv, we have begun to post our replays in high quality audio. So if um, you would like, we invite you to seek us out to um, iTunes. And in the iTunes directory, if you search for Yoga Hub or YHTV, you should be able to find, I do believe, the first few episodes of Magical Medical Tour there. And as we work through our library, um, we will be posting our podcast there for those of you um, who find it more convenient to listen to the recordings in your own time. So we want to thank you again for joining us here on yogahub.dv and we look forward to seeing you on tomorrow or next week. Okay, take care and namaste. Namaste.